we are always able to trust the Lord. I will trust you, Lord. What a blessing. Well, take your Bible tonight, if you would please, and turn with me to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter number 22. And in just a few moments, I want to read just one verse of Scripture that I simply could not get away from while seeking the Lord's will for the service this evening. Pastor, again, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be a part of your missions camp meeting again this year. I had the blessing after the morning service to enjoy a wonderful meal at your pastor, Miss Alita's home and what a blessing it was to be welcome into their home and to get to fellowship with their family. You just don't get any better than that. And then to get to come back to the house of God tonight and preach with my friend, Brother Steve Goolsby. You know, when I pastored one way or another after I met Brother Goolsby, he was with us at least once a year. I still have nothing but fond memories of him kicking off our land of Canaan jubilee. And we loved Brother Goolsby and Miss Pam and their family. And I rejoice in how God is using him. In fact, I think about Bible Baptist Church and how the Lord is working through this church to make a difference in the world for the glory of God. I think about the missionaries sent out of this church. And Pastor, I know you realize this, but the greatest compliment God could ever give a local church is to reach within the confines of that local church and call missionaries and pastors and preachers out of that church. And that is exactly what the Lord is doing right here at the Bible Baptist Church. And I think about the caliber of missionaries and pastors. Dr. Ellis uh, was preaching for us at our Macedonia conference just a few days ago. And he preached Tuesday morning on the power of God. And boy, he preached with the power of God. And I think about that caliber, that quality of missionary and preachers that God is calling out of Bible Baptist Church. I'll tell you what I believe. I am persuaded to believe the best is yet to come. Amen. I appreciate the emphasis of that meeting. I love to go to camp meeting anytime, but when a camp meeting has a missions emphasis, brother, that's just the best of both worlds. And what a blessing it is to be here tonight. I do apologize. My wife has not been able to be with me. We have just returned from a three-week trip up in New England. And she told me the other day, she said, preacher, now she didn't say preacher, but for the sake of where I am, I'll say that. She said, preacher, has it dawned on you it's been two months since I've dusted my house. We've not been home in that long. So she went to church with my son and his wife this morning and sent me on. And I'll leave from here early Tuesday morning, Lord willing, and go for the next missions conference in uh, Duncansville, Pennsylvania. So I appreciate your prayers for that. Have you found your place in the book of the Revelation? If you have and if you're able, would you please stand as we read the Word of God together. I want to preach tonight on the thought, God's invitation to the nations. Amen. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Word of God says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, with our Bibles open tonight, I pray that our minds, and even more importantly, our hearts would be opened to the truths of your inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Father, I pray that you would challenge us tonight, yes, but I pray that you would do more than that. I pray you would change us that we may be more like thee. Help me, I pray, I'm nothing without you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please be seated tonight. 
Of course, this final book of the Bible is called the Revelation. The word revelation, of course, stems from the Greek word apocalypse and simply means an unveiling. The word revelation literally means to show or to expose to view as the unveiling of a painting or a work of art is a revelation. This then, according to chapter number 1 and verse number 1 of the book, is the revelation of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Of course, the key that unlocks our understanding to, the book, to this book of the Bible is actually hung at the front door of the book. Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 19. There the Lord speaks to John the Beloved and says to him, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Here in this single verse of Scripture, you and I are given the structure of the entire book of the Revelation. In chapter number 1, John really did write about those things which he had seen. In chapters 2 and 3 of the book, while writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, John was used of the Lord to write about those things which were at the present moment of his writing. And then beginning with chapter number 4 and continuing all the way through this, the final chapter of the book, John was used of the Holy Ghost to write about those things which shall be hereafter. That is to say, these are the events or the things, as John alludes to in the text, in chapters 4 through 22, that will begin after the church has been raptured from the earth and after the church age has drawn to a close. Our key text tonight, of course, is taken from the final book, of the final chapter of the book of the Revelation. And I love the way one Bible commentator insightfully put it as he stated concerning Revelation 22. The last verses of this last book of Scripture are like the final movement of some great concerto in which we hear all of the instruments of the orchestra swelling with a flood of triumph. I say amen to that. I say amen to that because I believe that is exactly what we witness here not only in the final chapter of the Revelation but in the final chapter of God's inspired inerrant word. In fact, by the time we reach the time frame of our text here in Revelation chapter number 22, the book has taken us from the days of the early church in the past all the way into eternity in the future. The Lord, through the prophetic pen of John the Beloved, has shown us how the church age will end. He has shown us what will follow after the church has been raptured from the earth. How there will not only be tribulation on the earth, but jubilation in glory as you and I who are saved finally see the Lord. And can I say tonight, what a day, glorious day that will be. However, by the time we reach this final chapter in God's inspired word, you and I witness in this chapter right before our very eyes the culmination of those things that God would have us to see in the canon of Scripture. However, here in the text before us, the portion of Revelation chapter 22 in which the Lord has led us to tonight, I've always found it interesting that God has just one more thing he would like to say again to whosoever. I like the way Charles Spurgeon commentated concerning Revelation 22, particularly in these latter verses of the chapter. He said the Holy Spirit inspired John to pin these words because it is actually the culmination of the grand theme of all of the Bible. And friend, it's almost as if as John prepared to lay his pen aside and cease from writing, that the Holy Ghost of God tapped John on the shoulder and said, Whoa, John, hold up. God has just a few more things he'd like to say. Pick up that pen 
and write these few last things for the Lord. Now, I'm not going to preach on those last things, but I want to call your attention, if I may, to three last things of the Bible just by way of introduction to the message. First of all, notice verses 20 and 21. In verses 20 and 21 of this chapter, we see a last word. If you'll notice in verse number 21, John writes one last time of grace. But in verse 20, John writes one last time of glory by writing, Even so, come Lord Jesus. I have several folks that have asked me, since war has started in the Middle East, aren't you afraid? Aren't you concerned? Can I tell you why? I won't even have to take a half a baby aspirin to go to sleep tonight. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing slips upon God. And when I consider where God is tonight, as He is sitting high and lifted up, as Isaiah saw Him, sitting high and lifted up it causes me to speak one last time of glory and say along with John in verse 20 even so come Lord Jesus why it'd be just alright with me tonight if I never made the meeting in Pennsylvania amen even so Come, Lord Jesus. Verses 20 and 21, a last word. Look at verses 18 and 19. We see another last thing in verses 18 and 19. We see a last word in verses 20 and 21. But here in verses 18 and 19, we see a last warning. Verse 18, John writes, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words, of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. One last warning. A last word, verses 20 and 21. A last warning, verses 18 and 19. But then here in our key text tonight, in verse 17, we see one last welcome. And the Spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say Come and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Many times in the preceding 26 books of the New Testament of the Bible, God through the pen of the writers has invited and in fact welcomed mankind to come and drink from the waters of the well of His salvation. And now just one more time, just once more before God causes John to lay his pen aside and cease from writing, God does so yet again. Again, one last welcome. In fact, I believe as you and I zero in on this verse of Scripture tonight, we will discover collectively that it is packed with what some have called one of heaven's favorite words. I personally believe it's one of the grandest words in all of the Bible. I want to go on record by saying that I believe with all of my heart it's one of the greatest words in all of the Bible. I'm talking about the word come. It was first heard in the days of Noah as God was about to rain wrath on a world that had rejected him. After Noah had completed the ark and after salvation had been provided, you remember what Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1 teaches us, don't you? God himself stepped inside that ark and he turned to Noah and to Noah's family. And God said to Noah, come. 
Come thou and all thy house in through the ark. And may I say to you tonight over and over and over again in both Old Testament and New Testament we see God extending an invitation to whosoever. We see it in type and foreshadow in the Old Testament but we see it in truth and fact in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said in John chapter number 6, latter portion of verse number 37, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And now once again, just one more time before John lays his prophetic pen aside. Just once more before uh, the canon of Scripture comes to the close. The Holy Ghost of God inspires the word come. Not just once, not just twice, but no less than three times. The Holy Ghost says come. The Holy Ghost says come in spite of the sinners we are. Come in spite of the mess we've made. Come in spite of the failures we suffered. God has an invitation and He extends that invitation to the people of the world tonight. In spite of the sin that you inherited, in spite of your failure, in spite of your shortcoming, God says come. Three things directly from the text before my part of the service is through. First of all, notice number one, the exhortation of the invitation. As you and I begin to dig into the truths of this single verse of Scripture, we'll discover that John writes of two different entities that are exhorted by God to proclaim His invitation for mankind to come and drink from the cool, refreshing waters of the well of His salvation. Who is it that God longs to use to reach others with the gospel? Well, first of all, according to the text, the Spirit is exhorted. The Spirit is exhorted to proclaim God's invitation to come. Do you see it in verse 17? And the capital S-P-I-R-I-T. And the Spirit say come. The Bible is abundantly clear. The work of the Holy Spirit is not only to comfort and not only to conform the saint having been saved, but the work of the Holy Spirit initially starts by convicting the sinner before they are saved. And that is exactly why Jesus said in John chapter number 6 and verse number 44, No man can come to me, you remember what he said, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And how does God draw men today? God draws men by the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. I shared a little bit of my testimony with you this morning. Let me tell you why I'm so very grateful for the wooing, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Brother Noah, if anybody could have gotten to heaven being a good little boy, I was well on my way. Listen, I went to church nine months before I was born. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am not exaggerating tonight when I tell you that I cut my teeth on a Baptist hymnal. I've chewed many a uh, handful of chewing gum by reaching up. And you'd be surprised at the different kinds of flavors that are underneath. I noticed the sign the preacher got up here. Please do not put your gum in the pulpit. I didn't know people put their gum in the pulpit. I thought they always put it underneath the pew. 
because I've chewed a many a flavor by reaching up, laying on the floor and picking the gum off of the pew. If anybody could have gotten to heaven being a good little boy, I was well on my way. My mama was saved. My daddy was saved. My brother, my sisters had been saved. All my friends had been saved. I thought, well, surely if anybody is going to heaven, I am going to heaven. But on that Sunday in the month of June in 1974, I the preacher of the Mountain View Baptist Church of Mountain View, North Carolina. Instead of telling me what I wanted to hear, he told me what I needed to hear. And about a quarter to twelve that Sunday morning, the Holy Ghost of God removed the blinders from my eye and I saw myself lost through the preaching of the inspired Word of God. The Holy Ghost of God said, Come. The Spirit is exhorted to proclaim God's invitation to come. But wait just a minute. Not only the Spirit, there's somebody else in verse 17 that God wants to use to extend this invitation. The saved. The saved are exhorted to proclaim God's invitation to come. And the reason that I say that is because according to our text tonight, not only the Spirit, but what does your Bible say? The Spirit and who? The bride. Now if you've been saved five seconds, that's you, child of God. And that's me. And so God not only wants to use the Spirit, He wants to use you, child of God. He wants to use your testimony. He wants to use your witnessing. He wants to use your prayers for God to raise up laborers that He might send forth laborers into His harvest. He wants to use your missions offering. He wants to use your door knocking. He wants to use you. In fact, God through the pen of John Beloved so desired to drive the point of the saved proclaiming his invitation for mankind to come and drink from the waters of the well of his salvation that he not only mentioned us doing it once in the text, he mentions us doing it twice. And the reason that I say that is because he not only addresses the bride of Christ in verse 17 but he addresses those that heareth God's invitation to come as well. Those same individuals are exhorted by God to extend his invitation to come unto him for their soul's salvation. And friend, having studied my Bible, I believe with all of my heart that this too speaks of those of us that are saved. Because when you dig into the truths of that word heareth in verse number 17, you will discover that it is speaking of one that hears and welcomes the invitation. Well, if you have heard the gospel message... If you have heard God's invitation to come and you have welcomed, you have received that message and received it gladly, then you mark it down. You've been born into the family of God. So now that you have welcomed the invitation, God wants to use you to extend this same invitation to a lost and dying world. That's why we go. That's why we give. That's why we get missionaries to the field. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And who better to extend the invitation than those of us that have heard, accepted, and gladly welcomed it ourselves. And so we see the exhortation of the invitation. 
Secondly, verse 17 speaks to us about the extent of the invitation. Can I ask ask you a question tonight? According to the Bible, I'm not interested in what the philosopher says. I'm not interested in what the best-selling author says. I'm interested in what the Bible says. I want to know what God says. And we can know what God says as we consider the Bible. God, listen, God never operates outside the confines of this book. He has magnified His Word above His own name. So I'm interested tonight to know, who does God extend this invitation to? Well, according to verse 17, first of all, he extends his invitation to come to the individual that is a thirst. John writes in the text, and let him that is a thirst come. Oh, and may we never, never, never forget that it was none other than our precious Savior that said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me, you remember what he said, shall never thirst. Oh, the extent of the invitation. If you are thirsty tonight, Jesus is the water of life. If you are hungry tonight, Jesus is the bread. If you are wondering and lost tonight, Jesus is the way. If you are searching for facts tonight, Jesus is the truth. If you are dead in trespasses and in sin, Jesus is the life. Oh, the extent of the invitation. God extends the invitation to the individual that is a thirst. But then, God wanted to make absolutely, positively sure that there was no doubt the extent of His invitation that He takes the extent of it to yet another level. Yes, He extends it, according to verse 17, to the individual that is a thirst, but He goes on to extend it to Anybody. Can I take my Bible tonight and show you why it's absolutely an impossibility to knock on the wrong door? It is absolutely an impossibility to pass out a gospel track to the wrong individual. Yes, the extent of the invitation. God extends this invitation to the individual that is a thirst. But here in the same verse, he goes on to take that to yet another level by extending this life-changing invitation to absolutely anybody. Can I prove it to you? Look at verse 17 again. And let him that is a thirst come. And somebody read these next two words with me. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Can I just take a few moments right here, slow down just a little bit to make this statement? This is the place in the canon of Scripture that I like to call where the sovereignty of God has a head-on collision with the grace of God. And by the way, you don't have to get nervous because I use that word sovereign. I don't have a problem at all with the word sovereign. Can I assure you tonight, you can believe in a whosoever gospel and still believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm not afraid of the word sovereign. The word sovereign just simply means all power. The words whosoever will in the text simply imply that where Jesus died for the whosoever wills as well as the whosoever wants, it is only those who will take the water of life whose thirst 
will ultimately be quenched. It's as simple as that. I made this statement this morning. I believe at this point in the message tonight, the truth bears repeating. There is something that God sacredly guards all throughout the canon of Scripture. You know what it is? The will of man. God doesn't force anybody to be saved. And He certainly isn't going to force you to live for Him and to serve Him after you've been saved. If your thirst is quenched, it's because you've heard an invitation to come. And it's because you have accepted God's invitation to come. You say, well, preacher, do you mean that Jesus died for me? I mean that Jesus died for you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why we witness the Spirit extending the invitation of the text through the efforts of the saints of God. It's God's will for all men everywhere to be saved. I think I've told this story here before. But it just fits so well. I think I'll share it again before I give you the last point of my message tonight. It was while I was pastoring my last church. I pastored three different churches over a course of 22 years before God led us to the mission full time. It's while I was pastoring the last church that one of the fellows in the church came to me one Sunday. You see, when I first got to the church, the church had gone through a tremendously hard time and there was only a handful of people in the auditorium. We had a 600-seat auditorium and only about 100 people on a Sunday morning and that was, that was a relatively good Sunday morning. So I did a whole lot of preaching to the Wood family. You know what I mean? I mean the pews were made of wood and so I just reared back every Sunday and preached to the Wood family. Boy, they were sure faithful. They were there every time the doors were open. So I got to know the Wood family really, really well. It's hard to get fired up about preaching when you're preaching to the Wood family every week because they never say amen, they never shout hallelujah, they never say thank you for the message preacher, the Wood family. You ever preach to the Wood family, Brother Goolsby? So I did a whole lot of preaching to the Wood family. But we just started loving folks and knocking doors and lo and behold, people started coming to church. People started getting saved. I remember we had an old 12-passenger van. It, it wasn't even a 15-passenger. Oh, no, we hadn't graduated to a 15-passenger. We had a 12-passenger van. We couldn't afford anything else. I think at that time we had about four grand in the bank, all of our accounts, and we were $400,000 in debt. Now, that's a lot of money today, but it was a whole lot of money almost 20 years ago. And so uh, there was a couple that really got on fire for the Lord and they came to me one Sunday after church and they said, hey preacher, what are we going to do with that 12 passenger van out there and I said well I don't really know and they said well would you care if we took it and started picking up some folks to bring them to church on Sunday and I said oh absolutely not so that's what they started to do and boy, those folks that they began to bring in on that van, boy, they started hearing the gospel and they started getting saved. Well, we had several old yellow buses out there beside of the church. They hadn't been run in a pretty good while. Another couple came to me and they said, Hey, preacher, what are we going to do with those buses out there? If I went and got my CDLs, do you think me and my wife could start another bus route and we'll run it beside that 12-passenger van? I said, No, that sounds great. And so he got his CDLs. He started working a bus route. So we began running one one bus and one 12 passenger van folks started getting saved every Sunday we was baptizing folks almost every single week 
Well, boy, revival began to break out. That fire that Brother Goolsby preached about tonight began to spread in the church. I had another couple come. They said, Preacher, we got several more buses out there. Do you think we could get another one running? We got another one running. And they started running two buses and the 12-passenger van. And from the two buses, we went to three buses. And from three buses, we went to four buses, to five. I think it was about on bus number three. After the service one day, one of the men of the church pulled me aside. And he said, Pastor, could I have a word? And I just got this sneaking suspicion that he wasn't going to tell me what a good pastor I was. And so he pulled me aside and this is what he said. I shall never forget it. He said, preacher, it has been brought to my attention. Some of you preachers and pastors, if they ever tell you that it's been brought to their attention, you better buckle up. You're in for a ride. He said, it's been brought to my attention that folks in the church are very concerned about the type of people that we're bringing in on these buses. And he proceeded to take the next 15 minutes and teach me something about the type of people we were bringing in. Now, The entire time that he was taking me to school, I was praying. I was praying, Lord, I really need your help here. I really need, I want to be gracious. At least he came to me. He came to me privately. I need to commend him for that. He came to me. So he stood there and for the 15 minutes I gave him, he tried to straighten me out on the type of people that we were bringing in on these buses. And so I told him, I said, well, first of all, brother, thank you for coming to me. You know, that's what the Bible teaches. And so I commend you for that. Thank you. And you know what? I'm going to make this a matter of diligent prayer. And I'll tell you what. Sunday night, Next Sunday night, if you will be here next Sunday night, I'm going to tell the church publicly from this moment on, we're only going to bus in one type of people. And boy, that response, since a soft answer turneth away wrath, really responded. I mean, it responded well with him. So he said, really? I said, yes, sir. From now on, we're only going to bus in one type of people. Will you be here next Sunday night? Oh, yes, preacher, I'll be here. And I'll tell all those that have stressed concern to be here as well. I said, good, good. So the next Sunday night, I took a message out of the gospel, took a text from the gospels. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And I preached about 30 minutes on the type of people that Jesus died for. And so after I finished my message, I said, all right, church, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. It has been brought to my attention that some of you are concerned about the type of people we're bringing in on these buses. Well, from this moment on, as long as I'm here, I give you my word, we're only going to bus in one type of people. And boy, when I said that, the bus workers especially, they went. (sighs) And then I proceeded to finish the statement. From this moment on, we're only going to bus in those that Jesus died for on the cross of Calvary. 
And I said, I don't want to lose any of you, but if I have to choose between your being overly concerned and what that Bible is concerned about, I'll take what the Bible says any day and twice on Sunday. So you know what we did? We run those buses to the richest part of town. We run those buses to the poorest part of town. We had people that had no money. We had people that was blessed with money. We saw mama saved, daddy saved, youngins saved, and we only bust in those that Jesus died for. You can't knock on the wrong door. You can't hand out a gospel tract to the wrong person. I had a preacher's wife not long ago tell me, Preacher, sometimes I just get a handful of tracts and I love to go to Walmart and just walk down through the aisles and pass out gospel tracts. I do it often. She said, I was in Walmart the other day passing out gospel tracts. And I got down to my last track. She said, I wish I would have had more. I just didn't think to bring more. But I had one more gospel track. And I thought to myself for a split second, we want to be careful. We want to hand this to the right person. And she thought about that for about five seconds. And she said, wait a minute. You can't hand it to the wrong person. You'll never hand a gospel track to an individual that Jesus didn't die. The extent of the invitation. Whosoever. And finally tonight, notice the expense of the invitation. Verse 17, once more. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life. Here's the expense. Say it with me. Freely. I think it was while I was pastoring my second church. In 1992, I got out of the Navy on a Wednesday and my home church at that time was the Island Ford Baptist Church of Jonesville, North Carolina. Well, my home church was without a pastor. God had called me to preach while I was in the Navy. I started going to Bible college when I served in the United States Navy. And since my home church was without a pastor, they asked me to fill the pulpit the following Sunday. Well, I filled the pulpit that Sunday. Fast forward four years, I stayed and served as their pastor and went to, church, went to Bible college at the Calvary Baptist Bible College in Keene, North Carolina. Well, after four years there, God moved me to the Calvary Baptist Church of Statesville, North Carolina. It was while that I pastored at Calvary Baptist Church. I, I can't remember. It was a pastor appreciation day, a birthday, anniversary, something. Someone in the church purchased a gift certificate for me and my family to the K&W cafeteria. Now, there are not many K&W cafeterias left these days. But back then, when I pastored in Statesville, North Carolina, there was a K&W cafeteria literally five minutes from the church. All of the young preachers in the church, they used to kid me. They would rib me all the time about that. They said, preacher, you are too young to love the K&W cafeteria like you love the K&W. They said, you do know what K&W stands for, don't you? And I said, no. What does K&W stand for? And they would always say, canes and walkers. Because you see so many of them. When you go to the K&W cafeteria. But I didn't care. Let them say what they wanted to say. I love the K&W cafeteria. How many of you have ever gone to the K&W? Several. Look, it's all the old folks in the church. Some of you young men, you ought to Google that when you get home. 
When I went to Winston-Salem to visit the hospitals, my car, my automobile, it always knew the way to the K&W. Loved the K&W cafeteria. Well, so somebody purchased a gift certificate for me and my family to go to the K&W. You remember, you remember Brother Goolsby. You go through this line and they run you in there. It's like a cattle chute. And you go to this end of the line and you get your tray, you get your napkin, and you get your silverware. And then you begin to make your way down through the line. Now, you better know the perfect will of God for what you're going to eat because they got some little old ladies with hairnets standing there and they're going to be asking you forcefully what you want to eat. Meat! I always used to kid Cassie. She would get nervous. I mean to the point of getting sick before we went into the K&W because she knew before she got in that line she better know the perfect will of God or the little ladies with the hairnets going to chew her out. I always knew God's will before I got up there, buddy. I learned the hard way. And so we get our tray, we get our silverware, and we go down through the gauntlet of little ladies with hairnets. We pick out our meats, we pick out our breads, we pick out the desserts, we get our drinks, and when you get to the end of the line, there's another little old lady, and she's figuring up your bill. When she figured up our bill the day we went through the gauntlet, she handed me the bill. And the way it works at the K&W, once you get the bill, you go and you sit down and you enjoy your meal. But when you get through, there are not many ways out. There's only one way out. And you got to go by one more little old lady. And she's at the cashier's desk. And before you get out, the only way there is to get out, the debt has got to be settled. It's got to be settled. And so we sat down and we enjoyed our meal. Then we went to the last little old lady and I handed her my bill. Now, how many of you would agree with me when I say that was my debt? Right? I owed the debt. And so that little old lady, I'll never forget what she did. I handed her the bill. She took it and she said, Sir, that will be... And she told me the amount of the debt that I owed. But when she told me the amount of the debt that I owed, I took out the gift certificate where someone that loved me had already paid the price. And I handed that little old lady with the hairnet the gift certificate. I'll never forget what she did. She took the debt that was owed. She took the price that was paid. And she put them side by side. You want to know what she was looking for? She was looking to make sure that the price that had been paid was adequate enough to cover the debt that was owed. I think I'll take you with me everywhere I go. I like preaching to you. I mean, it's like nobody's here but me and you. I think I like it so much I'm just going to stay right here for this last point. When she took the debt that was owed and when she took the price that was paid, she noticed that the price that was paid was more than enough to cover the debt that was owed. So you want to know what she did? I will never forget what that little old lady with the hairnet did. She reached up underneath the counter and she took a rubber stamp and she dipped that rubber stamp in a pad of red ink and she took the debt that was owed and she stamped it with the word in red letters, redeemed. Do you know what the word redeemed means? The word, 
the wor- if I wasn't so dignified. The word redeemed means to purchase by paying a price. Do you want to know why we can take the gospel to whosoever? Do you want to know why God offers the water of life freely? The bread of life freely? Because Jesus paid a debt. He didn't know. Because you and I owed a debt. We could have never paid. Peter put it this way for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious the precious the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot keep on preaching keep on singing we offer the invitation to the world Freely, because Jesus paid the debt on the cross to enable us to do just that. You've listened so well. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? Oh, Lord Jesus, the extent, the exhortation, the expense of the invitation. You teach us from your word that we can partake of the water of life freely because you went to Calvary and with your own precious, powerful blood paid the debt. Oh God, can I just say thank you for the blood. Thank you for the gift of salvation that we can offer to whosoever tonight freely. Oh God, may we be encouraged tonight. May we be exhorted from your word to be more faithful than we have ever been faithful before. To be used of thee to extend this life-changing invitation. To whosoever. Lord, some of us in this auditorium have neighbors that will die and go to hell unless we are used of you to reach them with this invitation. Lord, some of us have family members. Lord, it's coming up on Christmas season and some of us will see family members in just a few weeks from now that are lost. God, may we be reminded through this message tonight, you long to use us to extend this invitation. And so my Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would leave this place tonight with a greater burden to not only be hearers, but doers of thy word. And I'll give you glory for it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes.